It's Friday, January 13th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Have you heard the news? The real big news? So what is the real big news? Well, the really real big news, the news that's on the front page of almost all the newspapers and did lead the nightly news reports, here I am from 1978, the nightly news reports, is the improper storage of classified documents by Joe Biden. This, as I said yesterday, deserves to be news. It's not not news. That is the big news. But what's the really big news, the news that everyone's talking about? Well, that would be spare by a gingerhead gentleman named Harry Windsor. It's one of those books that I don't need to buy in order to know everything that's in it. It's sort of like the summer of 1985 and you were considering buying Thriller. Why not just turn on the radio and hear every song off of Thriller for free? Among the revelations in Spare, uh, Mr. Windsor, Prince Windsor at the time, Prince Harry, had a, a little frostbite Well, on a certain part of his anatomy, he frosted the royal scepter. He had a chilled tallywhacker. And that is far from the most revealing or embarrassing detail. So that is news that's everyone talking about. But when I say what's the real big news, maybe I'm talking about the yurt of invincibility. Sometimes I'll start a show by saying, have you heard the real big news? And then there's a weird, wacky story in the news. It's not not in the news. It's in the news. And sometimes it has a funny phrase like yurt of invincibility. The yurt of invincibility, the second one, was built by the government of Kazakhstan to help people who are experiencing, well, all all sorts of things that a war-torn people could experience in Ukraine. They put up these yurts, which are a play on points of invincibility, uh, emergency programs that provide heating and electricity hubs during blackouts during communities in Ukraine, specifically in Buka, which is a town north of Kiev, which saw a lot of uh, horrendous uh, human rights abuses. So we have these yurts of invincibility. That's not actually the news I'm talking about. The really real big news, which wasn't uncovered, but I'm going to mention it and you might not have even heard it. I just think is transcendently huge news. It's that U.S. cancer deaths have dropped by a third since 1991. Now, sometimes really big news doesn't get played as big news because it seems boring or, you know, worthy, a new water filtration system, or maybe it seems far away. You know, the war in Tigray does seem to be successfully winding down. And yes, it's important, but uh, I gotta admit, it's not really about me or anyone I know, or maybe even anyone I will meet But cancer deaths falling, cancer after heart disease is the biggest killer in America. It's cancer. It's not just a horrible scourge. It's synecdoche for all horrible scourges, including people with bad attitudes on NFL teams. We are not unobsessed with cancer. Every news article I read at the bottom says miracle cancer cure. So this isn't a miracle cure. What it is is methodical policy and science-based efforts. Wait, that is a miracle. It's just not, not a miracle, not a snap your finger type miracle. It's an amazing development. The U.S. cancer rate has dropped by a third. Now, maybe it's not huge news is because it has been dropping. So incrementally since last year, it just dropped by a bit. But it's gigantic. Don't you think? Don't you think we should know it? Don't you think we should orient ourselves by thinking about all the progress that medicine and policy has made? Maybe you're saying, oh, it's not big news because there's not a culture war angle. But there is a 
big reason why cancer has dropped by a third is that cervical cancer rates have dropped by 65% from 2012 to 2019 among women in their early 20s. And this was above the objections of right-wing scolds who were trying to prevent progress, who didn't want young women to get their HPV vaccines. So this is an example of opposition overcome. This is an example of organizing, right? This is an example of activism, fighting back against people who would oppress women. This is a literal example of girl power. The future is female. It's literally true. There literally will be more females in the future. They'll be alive and cancer-free because of this. All of that should add up to people paying attention to this, but it's not. The other big reason why cancers are falling is smoking cessation has saved almost 4 million lives in the last 30 years. That's gigantic. I don't think we talk enough about that. So right now, There will be about 2 million new cancer cases diagnosed this year and some 610,000 deaths in 2023. On track to be 900,000 deaths if we went by 1991 figures and technology. By what measure, if you were to say, okay, what should be news? You couldn't come up with a decent definition or measure that this wouldn't be news. Well, shouldn't news something be, you know, life or death events? This is that, living or dying. Shouldn't we tell people about risks in the world? Yeah, this is exactly about risks. If you told someone this, uh, who you just met casually or a friend of yours, you were talking about things and you said, hey, you know, cancer deaths have fallen by a third. They might not believe it because it's not widely known as news, but I think they would be interested That's a gauge of news. I don't think it slots as easily into the definition of news as classified files next to the stingray in Biden's garage. But I don't think those classified files or revelation thereof are going to kill a single person. I don't think Trump's $1.5 million negligible but deserved fine is going to kill a single person. This is about not killing 300,000 people. Sometimes we talk about science and breakthroughs, and they always seem to be things on the horizon. Real things, not saying the things that aren't going to come, but Derek Thompson did a good rundown of the great scientific breakthroughs of last year, and they were fusion and obesity drugs, undercovered also, exoplanet imagery. It's about tantalizing, and it's about the horizon. What about the present? Cancer cut by a third. It seems almost too good to be true. It's close to too good to be told. On the show today, the whole show is an interview with an amazing director and an actress. So it's about a movie, but it's going to take a little longer setup in this part of the show than usual because my conversation is not just about the details of the film, but it's about the story of the film, of the film star. And also, we'll both talk about current events in Iran, which, as you'll hear, they're intimately tied up in. It's all going to inform the conversation you're about to hear, and it's about the movie Holy Spider, a story, a true story, of an Iranian serial killer who operated between 2000 and 2001 in the northern city of Mashhad, which is Iran's second biggest city. The director created a character of a female journalist who tracked down the killer and confronted him. So even though she was a fiction based in reality, the themes of the movie still really work, which is that an oppressive society was endorsing the same mindset adopted by a serial killer. Beyond the movie, there is the person and story of lead actress Zar Amir Ebrahimi, who was forced out of Iran after she came under fire by the exact same anti-woman forces we will be discussing. 
She was a popular actress in a leading soap opera. And in 2006, someone stole a tape of her and a boyfriend having sex. And then citizens and the official authorities began hounding her. This is from the New York Times account. Quote, the government set about finding every man with whom she had shaken hands or been photographed. She said every man she had ever kissed on the cheek. It was clear her career in Iran was over. She was about to confront her various accusers in court, facing a prison sentence and 97 lashes on the charges of having sexual relationships outside of wedlock when she decided to flee. And Zara has lived in France ever since. Keep that in mind as you listen to the extended interview with the star and director of Holy Spider. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I uh, got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of the Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Holy Spider is a 2022 German-French-Swedish-Danish co-produced Persian-language crime thriller directed by Ali Abbasi. It's the true story of an Iranian serial killer out to rid the world of vice by targeting prostitutes. Injected into this is the fictional character of a journalist investigating the killer. She is played by Zar Amir Ebrahimi. She won the Best Actress Award at Cannes. The film has been shortlisted as an Academy Award nominee for Best International Feature. Ali and Zar, welcome to The Gist. Thank you. Thank you. So, Ali, the very first shot is a notification that this is not the sort of film that would possibly be approved in Iran. It is not just of a topless woman, but of a woman's hair. She is looking in the mirror and fixing her hair. Was this purposeful? Yeah, it's like the initial middle finger um, to go, go through. I mean... I think um, when we did the movie, we already knew that, you know, after numerous tries, after trying to get it through the censorship in, in other shapes and forms, I just felt like, you know, the only way to make this movie is to make it uh, 
in its whole, without censorship, without compromise. And that's the only way I can make it. If I can make it that way, it would happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't want to do it. Did you try to make it in Iran officially ever? Yeah, I did. I had uh, a lot of so-called tea meetings where, uh, where we discussed with what they call the Ministry of Culture. I call the censorship. And, uh, you know, they, uh, one of the things they told me once, it was like, we like the script, but the tone is angry. We don't like the angry tone. I'm like, well, I mean, a lot of innocent people got killed and this guy became a hero. So I have all reasons to be angry, I think. And also, moreover, what's wrong with an angry tone for a movie? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we didn't uh, get along. So after a year and a half in like a Kafka situation, they, I just I just knew that there's no way we get, you know, get along. Um, I mean, singing the inside was also pretty naive. But I did try. And Sarah, if they had filmed it in Iran, could you have even been in it? No, of course not. No, I left Iran 15 years ago because I couldn't work anymore. Yeah. And so what attracted you to this movie? Yeah, you know, this movie for me is a, a long journey. I started working with Ali as casting director. I'm basically the actress, but uh, since I live in Paris, uh, I just became kind of expert of Iranian cinema. I know everyone. And when I heard that he uh, is working on this project and I know very well the story, I just proposed myself as casting director and we started uh, immediately. And then uh, it took two years and the actors who was supposed to uh, play the character who's based in Iran, she just... Uh, changed her mind only before uh, only, only a week before shoot and uh, I think we, we we had no more left no more actress left I wasn't really happy with anybody and uh, somehow that day I just got very exposed and angry and I think uh, finally because I'm very kind person and nice and soft and uh, somehow I couldn't see that journalist in me maybe for those three years and then we ended up to just work together, continue working together as the main role. And then uh, as myself with my special story, I think uh, I, f I feel the journalist. I had this journalist in, 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 inside. And, you know, in the, the fact that with every step she takes, she gets somehow stopped by the government, by the society, and the difficulties she faces every, uh, in her every daily uh, life, uh, I think, you know, really naturally I had it. I just needed to just uh, get, just reach to it and, and bring it out. And uh, yeah, we a little bit, actually we changed the character when I came on, on the board as actress. Uh, she was younger and uh, with me she became older and that actually helped me a lot to bring my own experience of life in Iran. Yeah, she gets uh, harassed and uh, pretty sexually repressed, but quite blatantly harassed every step of the way. And at least with you playing her, I, as the viewer, never said to myself, ooh, I wonder if she's going to countenance this. I wonder if she's going to let this happen. Uh, your portrayal of her, never for a second did I think she was anything except uh, extremely tough and up to the challenge. And, and what a challenge. Yeah, I always think somehow I brought my questions to the movie 
and also maybe for Ali this character was uh, from the beginning very determined but uh, I I think somehow my physique and uh, my you know what I thought in the beginning I thought she can't be like a leaner character she should be kind of you know I I brought all also my vulnerability but my weakness into the character and you know I my fears as as uh, as an Iranian woman. I mean, the whole character, the whole background of the character harassment, and it became with the with the research that I did only in a week that I had. Uh, I talked to many journalists who were working at that time in Iran, and then even with international journalists. And then I learned that even as a journalist, I always thought uh, a journalist has a voice. And then I learned that no, that's not the case. You know, they can't sometimes use their voice. They get all these harassments and assaults everywhere. Uh, even in France, we have many stories. Even in US, we have it. And uh, and that was the actually something that really really helped me to develop the character in the whole story. You know, I found her, her her own reason to fight for this. And then actually, I have to say, these days, after this uprising in Iran, uh, it's like that I have another answer for it. It was not only for herself that he wa- she was fighting, uh, not only for these women, uh, for, 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 for freedom, simply for freedom, for freedom of everyone, you know. Yeah, and there's a defiance about this, all this, I think. There's a defiance about... The small things she does, you know, in the character does in the movie, and I think that defiance is also like, you know, you sort of have you in your own life, in your own background, and as you're like in what you're doing, you you are really like part of that defiance. You know, it's like you're you are the middle finger <laughs> to towards this this government who. And yeah, think, listeners should know that the Iranian authorities essentially harassed you out of Iran, right? Th- through the very ministries that we're seeing being protested against in the news now, trying to suppress and oppress women. Yeah, I mean, they spent, you know, they spent many years. And this is also remarkable for me, because like when Zara and I met, I honestly didn't know anything about her story. I just knew that she was an actress and because this also has to do with me being disconnected from Iranian cinema, from like the mainstream of the Iranian cinema. I just knew a few movies I've seen. I didn't really know that many people. So I didn't know about her story. And as we like in the whatever four years that it took for us to cast the movie and prep the movie and get, get to shoot it, I think it was like finally when we were actually working together and we were talking about the character where I actually start asking her because like I don't I don't want to ask about people's private lives if I don't need it. You know what I mean? Uh, and I was like, OK, so like what 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 happened to you? You know, and then she was telling me, OK, I had this private video and it leaked. And, you know, it's like and I was joking with her and I was saying like, OK, like if you were Kim Kardashian, you would have been wonderful. But. You know, joke aside, that ruined her life. You know, I mean, I'm, now I'm telling your story. Sorry. <laughs> but 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 my point with all this being that when you go from there and your career is ruined, you're like a mega star of like a Iranian TV and a pop culture and your career is ruined. You end up in a different country, like you're starting from the entry level jobs. You're, you're not even like allowed to or get the acting chance. I barely um, I would love to get take credit for oh like she got the break with me, but she got a break with me because 
you know, because of practicalities and because she deserved it, you know, not because I had a great like scheme of things and, you know, but anyways, looking at all this and then when, when she got the award, I think it was just like, there is sometimes, sometimes a minuscule of justice in this world, you know, sometimes you, sometimes the same forces that were destroying her, like, you know, lifted her, you know, I wouldn't say from the ashes because that's not where you were, but but still, you know, it was it was a huge it was so symbolic. It was more than like one person winning an acting award. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that there was a kind of message of justice and hope and you know, the government anyway and the society, I think they ju- judged me a lot. And that's uh, that's interesting. In a scene uh, when uh, I'm at the fi- uh, at the killer's uh, house, um, we did just kind of improvisation and uh, Said Mehdi Bajasani. He just asked me, what, what's your name? And I said, Zahra. Uh, and I just said it immediately, like just very naturally, you know, it just came out. But, but, but when I was just saying this, Zahra, I was just thinking that I, I, I got, I was exactly at the same situation as these uh, prostitutes, these sex workers. They are people, they judge them, this government judge them. Everyone just judged them without knowing anything about them. And that was exactly what happened to me that in that society, in that uh, Ali always says, it, this, it's a movie about the serial killer society. I can't never generalize it, but I think I, I really feel it. I really understand this, this serial killer society. It's not only the government, it's the whole thing. This movie is kind of for me a mirror to this society. The people judged, but the government encouraged that very judgment. It was uh, all of a piece. Yeah, this is the thing that I think, you you know, I think even this serial killer, this killer, uh, as you see in the movie, he could be a good father, a good friend, good, uh, you know, he's a good person. But I think he got somehow manipulated by this system, by this month's mindset from the childhood. It's not only about the war or the time that he passed in the war or because he is kind of Basiji, very close to Islamist in, uh, extremists uh, in Iran. But I think he had, you know, it, it's, it's the, it, he's the example of many, many, many others in Iran. Yeah. So let me ask you, Ali, when you create the character that Zar played, the female journalist, um, that, so that's an invention. And that opens the door to fictionalizing many aspects of it. Did you have any rules about what would be changed and what wouldn't, how far you would go away from the truth in telling your story? Well, um, yeah. And I think for me, Early on, the rule was we're not doing a a, a so-called um, true crime. You know, we're not. I I don't. I'm not. You know, like this story of the guy, the case in itself. Um, it had, of course, enough layers and enough complexity to like attract me, but it was not all everything I wanted to to express, and it was not. You know, so. I think for me, the rule was always like, I don't want to completely fictionalize anything. So there always needs to be a base in reality. So even like for the character, the character of uh, Rahimi, the journalist, 
there is a base. Like there was a journalist uh, who, uh, uh, you know, in, were, was investigating this and she went to Mashhad and, and, you know, she was from there originally and she was at the court hearings and she was at the execution. And what she didn't do was going on the cover and, and I think when I was looking at, you know, a, an early draft of the script together with my friend, uh, uh, who uh, a novelist and poet friend who wrote the script with me, we were thinking, okay, so we need to have a counterbalance between Said's character and someone who's not only a theme about, uh, you know, all women are being suppressed, but it is a real counterbalance of power. And we were actually looking at finding, you know, similarities between Raimi's character and Said's character because they're both obsessive characters and they both take actually sort of, I would say, perverted, illegitimate uh, 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 pleasure out of what they're doing. You know, there is a so there was a, a, a slightly longer version of the movie at some point. And in that. Uh, there was one line that I sort of regret sometimes uh, we cut out where in the car when, um, you know, when uh, they, they they come back, these two journeys from the execution and, you know, the aftermath of it, he asks her, so why did you ask him to lash this guy? He was, you know, this is a medieval, uh, uh, you know, punishment. And she said, I wanted him to die like a criminal, you know. And I think that kind of like having personal feelings involved and being obsessive about it, I think that for me was the line that was interesting. That was like the overlap of these two characters that were sort of a little bit the, the, each other's alter ego in a, in a strange way. Yeah. And that's a classic, that's a classic trope. I mean, Holmes and Moriarty, Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter had a bit of that. If you want to talk serial, classic serial killer movies. How well-known, notorious, or maybe even, as your film suggests, not notorious, maybe celebrated some somehow, is this story in Iran even to this day? It is, you know, I mean, now, especially after Holy Spider came out, and also it would be interesting for people to know that there was an Iranian, like there was an, an, an movie made inside Iran about this case, uh, came out a few years ago, not far long ago, uh, actually, um, which is also called something with spider, maybe spider, spider killers, something in, in the veins of that. Um, and there was a there was a documentary uh, done about this early 2000 right after right, right around the time that that um you know uh Saida Hanoi the actual guy was still alive so you know and this is on top of all the coverage you know so this is a very well publicized case and it's always been very sensitive you know because uh, as you see in the movie, uh, the city of Mashhad is a very special city. It has its own rules. It's like the, supposed to be the crown jewel of Islamic Republic. You know, it's supposed to be like the, the city that has the cleanest streets, best people, most devotes, whatever. And the, <laughs> the only problem is same guys who go to the shrine to find their soul and cleanse it and all that. They right after they go and have some fun, you know. 
um, and and you know these girls like fourteen year olds and fifteen year olds and whatnot they stand right outside of the shrine and I've seen that with my own eyes in my research trips, so you know I think that um, this all creates a really strange like special atmosphere you know. We'll take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk to Ali and Zar about the culture of Iran and how making a serial killer film is almost always inherently a comment on the culture of the society in which the killer operates. Back in a minute. We're back with Ali Abbasi, the director of Holy Spider, and Zar Amir Ebrahimi at Star. After Ebrahimi won Best Actress honors at Cannes, Iran's Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance called the film, quote, fake, hateful, and disgusting, and issued the threat that the creators were, quote, following the path set by Salman Rushdie. That threat is so thinly veiled it would be prosecuted by the same Iranian authorities. In this part of the interview, I begin by asking Zar if she remembered being in Iran when the actual killer was claiming victims in the years 2000 and 2001. Yeah, I remember very well those <laughs> that year and those days. You know, before this Syria killer, there was another Syria killer in, in, in Tehran. And uh, I was living in Tehran, uh, I was, uh, I think, around 1918. And that one, this one in Tehran, he, he was first, he used to rape women and then kill them. And then after a year, they just arrested him and they executed him in public. And then this just came out, this one in Mashhad. And then after this one, there, there was another one in another big city in Tehran and then uh, in Kerman. And then... There was another story of serial acid. There were some people who were throwing acid to women's face. You know, so it was kind of two, three years that we had just uh, all these stories around. And it was really scary. You know, I, I think me and all my friends, we were just kind of traumatized by uh, just uh, hearing about these guys just uh, turning around and killing Almost like the school shootings in the the U.S. That sometimes it felt like, you know, like you know, someone got inspired by Columbine shooting, and then someone after that got inspired by that guy. So it's sort of like it's a, like it had domino effect on each other. I think it's a little bit that's how it felt, you know, that they were these guys were sort of inspired by each other in a strange way. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, we had this feeling that nobody, no one from the government wants to just uh, stop them. Every time they took time, they killed people, they killed women, they just even about that acid uh, story, you know, and nobody stopped them. So it was kind of for us, okay, there is a problem with women and they are just, they're happy, you know, they, they, don't, they don't care about it, let's say. And many people, they thought these guys are from the government, you know, like, nobody could believe that they got just uh, in the end executed. I just want to add that uh, I think that is really for me the root of why this is a film noir. Why this should be a film noir and why we were looking at it in that direction, because this is really, <laughs> this is really Chinatown, you know. It, you know, you really feel that, you know, at the at the end of the, 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 you know, Holy Spider, somebody could say this is Mashhad. You know, it is it is it has it's it's a state of mind. 
and it has this thing like you know that you know is it neglect is it lack of you know like do they care is it deliberate uh you know it, all this like layer of mystique and lack of transparency the violence and things that you've done in your past and catches up with you it's just like it just all adds up in in like in a strangely classical way you know classic noir and that's the reality of life in iran in a way yeah and these killers are just taking the official policies of institutions like the morality police which i guess they announced they're going to disband but there are certainly ways to enforce those laws even if they wear a different insignia on their lapels they're just taking those policies maybe a half step further so I guess you could make an indictment of American violence by pointing to the school shooters, but I think it's it seems to me as an outsider to Iran a little more complicated in that if you are the kind of vulnerable person uh, portrayed as a veteran, an aimless veteran, and you look at everything society is telling you, it becomes not an act of irrationality. It be, you could see why it would become to a certain kind of twisted personality the culmination of everything you've been told is the virtuous way to act. No, that's true. And, you know, this is not the elephant. This is the taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, you know, this is this is the, and this is like, you know, when we were financing the movie, that was my way of trying to, like, explain the whole sort of, you know, what it meant to be, a, like, a war, war veteran of Iran-Iraq war coming back, having this existential, you know, uh, hole and you know since you associate meaningfulness in your life with certain violence you need to like reinvestigate that situation but in a different context like find violence again find that violence that gave you meaning so yeah that that is absolutely true and i think you had a really good point um that you know this is a guy who actually takes the iranian authority by by the word it's like oh you know what I mean? like it, it he's too literal you know, in a way, uh, that's his, that's his problem. You know, sorry, I, I saw you shaking your head when I said they're going to disband the morality police. You think they're just going to do that in name only? Yeah. They're going to be something else or, you know, something harsher than that. No, it was only just to come international actually, uh, I think media and that that's not true. Almost all repressive states, uh, specifically repress minorities and women who aren't a minority in almost uh, all places. But why, maybe I'm wrong, again, I'm an outsider, but what's your analysis of why the Iranian authorities so have misogyny shot throughout their every uh, method and their every reason for being? <laughs> I have never an answer to this, you know. Sometimes I just ask myself, what's the problems with these women? You know, this this hijab, this the, the question of scarf, this is like a border of, for them, uh, it's kind of the wall. Now it's like a wall half broken, you know, if it's like if we just take off our scarves, it, there will be no more Islam in the world. It's just that this Islam is broken. This is their problem with women, but, but you, you know, I think the, it's cultural, it's traditional, and it's from it comes from kind of religion that is very medieval. Yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely true, and you know, 
I was having this conversation the other way with someone here, uh, you know, in, in California about why Donald Trump was one of the very few Republicans that could actually connect with non, non-white uh, Republican voters. And, you know, that person says something interesting that, like, he spoke to the macho uh, of the Hispanics. He spoke to the man, man of black people. He spoke to the, you know, the man who tried to keep his honor in the, the, the Middle Eastern culture to the worst, like the most conservative part of. And this is this this really conservative reactionary part is almost universally misogynist. It's almost like it starts with suppressing half of the population and making a circle a little bit smaller. And then it's like, oh, Jews, oh, Muslims, oh, uh, uh, homosexuals, oh, uh, transgenders, oh, you know, everyone that is not exactly like us, you know. And I think that, you know, there is no denying and there's no running away that the the Islamic uh, rules, the, inter- the specifically the interpretations, strict interpretations of, you know, Islamic ro- laws and, and, you know, Quranic verses that, you know, the whole sh- um, Shia Islamic establishment of Iranian Islamic law is based on, both legally, spiritually, all that, it plays a big part, you know, and th- that's the elephant in the room. And, you know, it's like, if you talk about it, you know, some people say you're Islamophobic and some people say you're imperialistic and some. But without that criticism, there is something like you're not talking about the elephant in the room. You know, it's not to say that Islam is an like a specifically uh, dangerous or misogynistic religion and Catholicism is not. It's just to say that Islam, uh, Islamic world hasn't gone through those filters of like uh, renaissance and enlightenment and, and all that he hasn't got the criticism. Every time somebody's criticizing it, you know, they they end up on a hospital bed or they lose their eye or or they lose their head, you know, as you see with Salman Rushdie, who who was even not like into it, you know. Um, so, yeah, that that aspect, I think there's no denying in that. There's one specific thing I wanted to ask. There was a conversation between the killer and his friend, and they're both uh, Gulf War vets, and the killer bemoans, I wasn't even martyred, and the friend says, I know, what can you do? And is that, would that be a, I've always heard uh, that this was, this is a common sentiment to really actually want to have been martyred, but would this be a common sentiment just of veterans of that time or even today throughout society, speaking of martyrdom like that is uh, more common than not? Mm, I think, you know, there is, there are two layers to this. One layer is the official kiss-ass layer, which is like you'd say these kind of shit in public to get promoted or you know, buy you like a better position in the office and all that. You know, it's like, you know, they try to be a kiss-ass communist in Soviet, you know. And then there are actually few people that, you know, that mean it, that feel like, I mean, this is now, bear in mind, this is a war from 80s, you know, so like, you know, these people are old now. But there was a time, you know, when people came back like 10 years after or maybe 15, 20 years after, where they still had this feel like they, they uh, you know, a lot of these people actually believed in this propaganda shit that, you know, they believed that 
they are uh, waging a holy war and they're going to go through Iraq and they're going to go to to uh, Jerusalem and free the Palestinian people uh, you know all that like the bullshit conspiracy theory that and and they really felt that you know that was the meaning of life and when that didn't happen they were like okay so we didn't get martyred we didn't win the war it was completely pointless eight years war a lot of people got killed and crippled and you know gassed now what you know what i mean so the last question is, it always amazes me how cosmopolitan Iranians continue to be, even in the face of censorship and oppression. Is this movie being seen? Do you know if people in Iran are able to see it? It's leaked online, so yes. <laughs> and have you either of you gotten reactions? I think surprisingly, people, people they're, they're really appreciating this, this movie. Yeah. They're happy that it, finally something like this exists. One of the, uh, I got a really funny Twitter from one of these like regime friendly, like people, uh, like Twitter pundits who found a, a continuity mistake in one of the scenes. And he was like, you're a lousy filmmaker. You're not allowed to criticize uh, uh, whatever and talk about politics. You have to go and learn how to make movies. And I'm like, it's a bit of a harsh judgment, but okay. <laughs> Ali Abbasi is the director of and Zahra Amir Abrahimi, the star of the film Holy Spider, out now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. And that's it for today's show that just is produced by producer Corey Wara and senior producer Joel Patterson. Michelle Pesca is the COO of Peachfish Productions. Libsyn, well, they collaborate with us on the gist. For advertising inquiries, go to libsyn.com slash advertising the gist. Oomperoo, gperoo, And thanks for listening. <laughs>